Okay. At work, I have this wonderful scheduling program. In the past, we didn't have a scheduling program. I was smaller, and I would get double bookings, and it was horrible. But now I have this wonderful online scheduling program. And no more double bookings unless somebody's made a mistake, uh, which doesn't happen usually. And um, we have people filling in the calendar from all kinds of sources, online bookings, bookings from the front, rebookings in sessions. And um, I've played with my schedule, I've tweaked my schedule. And so I have, I get there at 8.30 and I have my day scheduled to the minute. It is exacting and precise. And I have, uh, I try to make room for clients when they need to go over because of something. Sometimes clients will talk for the hour and then actually tell me what they want and when the session's over. And uh, sometimes we have crises and things like this, but um, we have our, our system and it's to the minute. And I used to have an, I used to get there at eight and I would have an hour lunch. Now I get there at 8.30 and I only have half an hour for lunch because I found that sleeping was better than the extra time resting at <laughs> lunchtime. So I sleep more and rest less during the day, which ends up being quite a bit better. And so I have a half hour for lunch. I have maybe 15 minutes in the morning to get myself ready, to panically get ready for something maybe I've forgotten. And uh, half an hour at lunch, and, and then I'm done at four. I'm done at four. If you're online, I'm making quote, air quotes right now. I'm done at four um, because at lunch and after at four o'clock, that's when asked, this was kind of her tentative time to come and talk to me during lunch and after, and she would uh, knock on the door quietly and, and then peek her head in, and I would say, come on in, and, and she would bring things for me. But now... We've gotten to the point in the clinic where she doesn't, I think she kind of knocks. I don't know if she even knocks. She kind of knocks as she opens and she really doesn't ask if it's a good time anymore. She just kind of walks in and she's got this pile up to her neck of things to do and because she's panicked that I need to help her with all of these things and really there's no option about whether I'm going to meet with her anymore because she won't have it. She has things for me to do and to fix and to sign off on and to approve and we spend my lunch with me eating and nodding and signing and, and maybe giving some redirection here or there or uh, giving another thought because uh, there might be something else I was thinking. So my half hour lunch and then it happens again after work where she comes in with another pile and she doesn't knock and she just lays it out all on the table. and. And then there's some crisis because we have me being a counselor, and we have all these other counselors, and everybody has clients. And if you can imagine that many clients, there's going to be a crisis, usually every day and uh, somewhere. And so when I get home, uh, it's nice not to have a schedule. You know, you can imagine, right? Like you're, you're, well, people, oh, it's, it's crazy because then I have everything scheduled to the max. So then somebody wants to meet with me, right? Like somebody not on the schedule. Somebody wants to meet with me and it's like, oh my goodness, like I want to meet with you too. But when am I going to do it? Like how am I going to even make that happen? It seems impossible. Or, oh my goodness, let's say I'm sick. Like I don't get sick because of this, right? You know, like because if I am sick and I have to cancel five sessions and people need to wait like three weeks to get back in and they've already waited three weeks for that appointment, Ugh, you know, I just feel...
and I get tackled. That's right, I get tackled by kids. Boy, I've got Natasha's here now. So I get little, uh, you can feed me lines. Anyway, I get tackled. I, I get tackled and, uh, and screamed, and I, it's very literal, yes, and the kids are no Taekwondo, so it's starting to hurt a bit more um, than it used to. <laughs> Simeon's getting pretty good at his kicks. I used to say, anyway, so uh, he uh, got tackled, but it's nice, I have no schedule at home. And, and it's just kind of free time, and maybe I've got a few things to do, but it's like, oh, just a relief. There's something nice about having something unstructured. And I want to talk about, last week we talked about planning and dreaming, and how those, you don't have to make a choice, how there's both, and how those go together. And today I want to talk about planning prayer and planning um, spiritual activity. Let's pray. Lord, I, th I thank you for preaching to the choir, preaching to, <laughs> preaching to people who pray. Lord, help us to continue to be a praying church, a church that values your presence so highly. And I pray that today we would repent because it's a struggle and that we would sign up again to commit our lives to you. Just a, a push in that direction. <sighs> Amen. Uh, if you look at prayer in a certain way, planning makes no sense. Why would you plan prayer if you're never supposed to stop praying? First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. If you're supposed to be praying all day already, making a time to pray makes no sense. Makes no sense. In the Bible, there are a lot of spontaneous encounters with God. There are these times when God breaks in and does something amazing. And often, when, we, when God does this, when he breaks in, those are often the most powerful moments in the Bible and in people's lives, when it's unexpected, when it comes. And we have stories of that in this group. In our church, we have stories of people who have had God break in, and, and those are sometimes some of the most amazing stories. When you weren't even looking for God, he shows up. We have, there's amazing moments in the Bible, the writing of the commandments, the transfiguration, the Holy Spirit descending in fire on the upper room. The, the Lord will break into a moment and he will overcome us. And in that moment, we don't know when that moment's going to happen. It's spontaneous. It happens without, um, without, a, like without a time. There's no second on the clock. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen. Right now it's 10.57. It's, well, now it's 10.50. I don't know if it's going to happen now. I don't know if it's going to happen at 11. So if you look at it like that, planning makes no sense. How can you plan it when you don't know when it's going to happen, when God's going to break in? Matthew 6, 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. When I think of planned prayer, the feeling that I get is something along those lines. When, you, when I think about structured prayer time, when I think about 
prayer lists, when I think about um, uh, some kind of prayer procedure, this is the scripture that comes to mind for me. It's just, it enters into me and I think about it and, and it's discouraging and it's like, should I have a structure? Because I don't want to be doing what Jesus, what Jesus is talking about. It's interesting, he talks about this and he gives us the Lord's Prayer and I don't know. We, I don't want prayer to be empty. I don't want prayer to be empty. And sometimes a procedure, a structure, can lead to emptiness. It doesn't always. There's so many traditions actually leave us filled, and they're not. So it's not necessary. Now, some people will say, okay, well, there's emptiness, but maybe it's not empty. Maybe, maybe you are full when you're doing this, but maybe it's legalistic. Legalism is a great word that has people use for anything they don't like. And uh, legalism is something that people throw at, at plans. If you have a plan, you're being legalistic. Um, I don't really, like if you actually think about it, I'm not sure how that works, how a plan equals legalism. I think there are many, I think that they could be associated, like there's many times when people are planning something, but I don't think they equal each other. They might be associated and it comes to mind. When I think about actually making a schedule, it does cross my mind that this is going to be an empty thing, then that this is going to be a legalistic thing. And then I don't really know what that word legalism means sometimes when I think about it, but it just fits. It's like legalism. And it's just like when somebody says legalism and they think a structure, I think, that's juicy, that makes sense to me. I don't know why, but it does. It's like, yes, legalism. There's probably multiple definitions of legalism. Uh, the definition that I like is when you do something to make God love you. That's, the, that's a definition that's re resonated most for me, is when you do something probably empty, but it might not be empty, but it's doing something it might be full for you, but it's doing something out of the wrong spirit where you're like, God doesn't love me, and if I do this, he will love me. Justifying yourself. It's like your own cross. Not the cross that you have to bear for Christ, but like my own, I'm creating my own salvation. I'm creating my own way of having God love me. And the proper way, the better way, is not to do something to get God to love you, but to do something because he loves you. He loves me, so I want to do this. Not, he doesn't love me, but if I do this, I can get him to. So it's reversed. Now, if you plan something, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it to get God to love you. The biggest... Now, those are some negatives about planning. I'm sure some of you have heard or thought or felt or resonate with some of those already. Have, have those resonate with you? Have you kind of had those feelings, had those thoughts, had those concerns as you've thought about making a plan around something spiritual? Just raise your hands. Let's make it a little interactive. Does that make sense to some of you? Yeah, okay, I, have, I hear some. I still don't think it's the biggest one. I don't think that those are the biggest concerns. I think that planning is negative I think we, we explain our negative feelings about planning with all of those words that I've just described in verses. I think we explain our feelings using all of that, but I think the real reason 
that we don't like planning when we associate it with anything spiritual is because of my story. Because planning is associated with work. Planning is associated with something that you don't necessarily want to do. Maybe you wanted to do it at one point, but you don't want to do it, and I don't want to do it today. But I have to because I, I planned it. Like, I love therapy, but there are some days when I would rather stay at home. But I, I planned this, and now I have to go to work. And so I have a feeling that when I plan, because I've planned these things, because I've planned so much in my life, I've, I've got this feeling like, oh, I still have a plan to do today. I have something, maybe you can resonate with this, I, schedule, I have something scheduled today. I have something scheduled today. I don't have the day to myself. You might have scheduled it, so it's yours, but still you feel like it's not yours because you scheduled it. So, so much of our life is filled with these plans, and these plans in us every day are associated with things that we don't necessarily want to do now. We know we have to do them, but we plan them, so it becomes associated with working. Research shows that when people are asked to plan something, they feel like they're actually going to be less creative. They're scared. I can't plan something creative. This is just a psychology research. I can't plan something because it's going to make me less creative. Hemingway had a schedule for his writing. He would sit down with a blank piece of paper and a pencil every day. I think that planning has developed a negative association for us because it's so powerful. It's so, planning is so powerful that it's actually got this negative association. Let me explain how that's happened. We plan the things that are the most critical in our lives. Now, you might, if I was to ask you what are the most important things in your life, you would probably, because you guys are great church to people, you know the answer, God's the most important thing in my life. That's my value. What's the second most important thing? My second most important thing would be family, relationships, those kinds of things. What's, what's the third most? I don't know, I might go off a little bit here, but probably something, maybe work, something like that. We've got to put work in there somewhere, right? So work would probably be third, maybe fourth, I'm not sure. Depends how you kind of split it up. But God would be the most important thing. But if you actually look at what people are afraid of, they are not afraid of God. They're afraid of their boss. They're afraid of their boss. I'll give you some research to back this up. When you see people who are angry, people come into the clinic, and I'm a psychologist, sorry if you don't know. If people come into the clinic and they are having anger problems, and I ask them the question, do you ever get angry anywhere outside of your marital relationship? Do you ever show it anywhere outside of your marital relationship? Very few do. If you show anger outside of your marital relationship, it kind of takes it to another level. It's possible, it does happen, but it's a little bit of like another level of an anger problem. because. People are much, much, much more likely to show anger inside their marital relationship than outside, which makes no sense if their primary values are God and family and third is work. Because if you really believe that God is the most important, then family, then work, you would be showing your anger at work because that's the least important place, right? That's the least important. If I'm going to show it somewhere, I'm going to show it at work. People actually aren't as angry with their spouses as they are with their bosses. So now we have a situation where people are more angry with their boss, 
but they are showing their anger to their spouse. It's like somebody hits me and I kick my dog, right? Like, I show my anger towards, I might love my dog. My dog, I'm not mad at my dog. Maybe for a moment I'm angry, but I'm really angry at the person who hurt me. And I express it to the place where it's safe. I, I, that's what people do. They express it where they can. If I show it to my boss, I'll get fired. If I show it to my spouse, I'm still married, at least for a while, right? At least for a while. You're going to lose your job faster than you're going to get to a divorce. So it's safer. So when you actually get to the, when you look at what people are really, I mean, if you look at fear and value, if you look at what people are afraid of, of what they, where they really want to keep it together, where they really want to kind of control their anger, they're the most angry, but they control it, it's work. And so what do they do to keep it together? What do they do to really please that person that they're angry with, but they can't show it to them? They have to, they have to perform. They don't want to lose their job. What do they do? They plan. They plan at work. You make plans. I have a much stronger schedule at home than I, sorry, at work than I do at home. My schedule for work is to the minute. My schedule for home is loose. Because I'm making it a priority. I'm making it a priority. Why do I plan at work? Because plans are powerful. I perform so much more and better when I plan than when I don't plan. So I plan for the person I'm afraid of. I plan for my boss. My boss is my clients. I plan for my clients. So, therefore, we plan where we're afraid, we plan what we value, and we value our work, so all of our plans are around work, and then we don't like plans, because now plans are always around work, and we don't like it anymore because it's associated with things that we didn't want to do, and we plan those things that we didn't want to do because the plan actually helps us to do them, which keeps our job. Plans are powerful, so we plan the things we don't like, then we don't like them, so we don't like plans. Did you follow that? We plan because we don't like it. The plans will make us do the things we don't like. So then, because every time we have a plan, it's something we don't like, we don't like plans. We don't like plans. And then we go to the church and we say, we don't like plans, I'm tired of planning. And then we say, God doesn't want us to plan. I have a verse. I have a verse. I'm making it a little simplistic, but... It is so true that I feel free when I don't plan. And it's mainly because I'm planning things that are hard. Last week, we were talking about plans, and I cited this research that showed that when you're motivated to do something, like working out once a week, you'll do it 30%. But when I actually make a time and a place, goes up to 90% when I actually make a plan. It's so powerful, so we do it for our bosses, so we can keep our jobs. We do it for our unpleasant tasks. I remember when we were, um, it was a certain season. I used to say it was a time when we were taking prayer more seriously. I, I mean, I've been Christian my whole life. I don't know if I was taking it more seriously, but I wanted to enter into something new. and. So we were taking, I guess, taking prayer more seriously, and we, 
um, started by using a timer. Now, I guess I'm getting a little older. It was back in the time before cell phones, smartphones. I guess there were cell phones, big ones. I still remember the big ones. Anyway, you guys. But uh, we were, so I actually had an egg. It was an egg timer, and egg timers, at least the egg timer we had, was actually shaped as, as an egg. And I still remember, I don't know if you guys probably remember this, you have to go past five minutes. If you wanted to time something less than five, uh, bringing back some nostalgia, you had to go past the five minutes to, to go to measure something that was two minutes. Anyway, so we started, started with very short periods of time. Maybe even one minute, I'm not sure. But we were, I think we were very quickly up to like five minutes, ten minutes. And so we would set the, the egg and we would time our prayer. And we would do it at a certain time. And we would do it, I don't know, every day maybe. Uh, it's getting a little ways back. I'm not sure if I remember exactly. But I remember the experience. I remember I would lay on my floor. We had carpet, so it was nice. And it was just a little bit uncomfortable, which was nice too. Because it would keep me, if you get too comfortable, it's just not good. So anyway, I was uncomfortable, but still comfortable, perfect. And I would set the timer. And I hear that, and I would focus on God. It was very simple. I remember, I'll tell you what I, what I was doing at that time, and I still do it at times. I, I remember, I, was, I would almost picture arrows, and I remember shooting them into God's heart, and it was like me shooting love into his heart. I would just imagine that, just loving him. I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but it was the thing that I was doing. And I had these experiences. They weren't like, you know, overwhelming, angelic in my living room experiences, but they were powerful. And I, I don't really talk about them because I can't really explain them. Um, they didn't feel like anything specific. I didn't feel like water dripping down my head or electricity in my hands or heat in my feet. I don't know. I didn't feel those things but I still remember it being amazing and very powerful. And I wish I could give it more words. I guess I need to become more of a poet, but it, it, would be, it would take a poet to describe it. One of the things about using a timer that they've showed is that it reduces anxiety. Lists reduce anxiety. You, your mind will rotate through whatever you have to do. If you don't have a timer, it will think about what time it is. So if you make a list and then you use a timer, it's a very simple way just to make yourself relaxed. You can relax more. And I remember if I set the timer, I would relax. I would be able to calm my mind and focus on God. And if my mind did go to time, it would say, well, the egg timer's there. And I would forget about the time. I don't have to think about the world. I can think about God. Those are some of my most fond memories of my time with God. This might sound strange to you, but I believe very strongly that you can schedule encounter. You can schedule encounter. Now, if you believe that God is unwilling and angry with you and doesn't want to be with you? If God really is that way where he is resistant to expressing his love to you and 
doesn't want to be with you, if you believe that God doesn't want to be with you, then scheduling time with him makes no sense. If somebody who I don't want to be with schedules time with me, it's annoying. Right? It's annoying. And I'm going to resist it. But if I want to spend time with somebody and they schedule time to be with me, I'm going to be excited about being with them. And what do we call that? We call that encounter. That's encounter. If I schedule time to be with my wife, I hope you still want to spend time with me. If I, spend, if I schedule time to be with my wife, I am pretty sure I am going to have an encounter during that time. Something's going to happen. I'm going to talk with her. We're going to eat together. I'm going to have some time. I am going to encounter. You can schedule encounter. Now, if Natasha didn't want to spend time with me and I scheduled time, she might not show up. She might not be there. So, it depends on how you see God. Scheduling doesn't make sense if you see God as not wanting to spend time with you. But if he likes spending time with you, and he has lots of time for you, then why wouldn't you schedule time to be with him? He's waiting to spend time with you. It doesn't have to be a certain time. It can be when you have time, because he wants to be there. And I believe very strongly that he likes being with you. He doesn't do it because he has to and he wrote it down. He actually likes it, and he continues to like it. Now, I like structure. So I like lists. Lists make me relaxed. I like structured time with God. I like preparing a sermon. I like reading. I like thinking. I like praying over specific things. I like remembering specific things to pray for. So I would encourage you to do all of those things. However, planning is not the same as structuring exactly. Planning, you can plan, this is the next point, you can plan a mystery. Did you know that you can plan a mystery? It sounds like the opposite. How can you plan a mystery? Well, if, you can, if I can plan an encounter with Natasha, being with Natasha is mysterious. Let me tell you. It's this, I don't, I don't understand it all the time. I, I'm with her, and she says something, and sometimes it makes sense to me. It always makes sense, but sometimes it makes sense to me, and sometimes it doesn't, and it's mysterious. I have to sit back, and I have to just think, okay, she said this. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Boy, there's a mystery here. Lord, help me to understand my wife, you know. Help me to know what she means by this. There's a mystery. You can plan to experience a mystery. You can plan something unstructured. Obviously, you can plan something structured. You can plan to spend time. I can plan on Saturday at 8 o'clock to plan my sermon for the next morning. However, not that I ever leave it that late. No, of course not. But you can plan to do something structured, but I can plan on Saturday at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock to have a mysterious time with the Lord, to have this time where I enter into, starting right at 8 o'clock, on the button, I can sit down at 8 o'clock and say, whoo, this is mysterious. This is real, and this is an encounter. The Lord wants to show up, and he showed up again, and I don't understand everything that's happening. 
you can plan a mystery. Doesn't that sound weird? Doesn't that sound weird? When I was writing it, it was like, this is true, but it's weird. We don't associate planning with mystery, but you can do it. Mark 1, 35. It's the first verse that points to Jesus seeming to be on a schedule. Now, Jesus didn't say that he was on a schedule, but if you look at it, oh, there's hints. There's a hint that he had scheduled time with God. He certainly planned it. Jesus, Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, how do I know that was planned? I don't know how far in advance it was planned, but I know it was planned because it took him a while to get there. He had to walk. He woke up and he said, I am going to experience a mystery today. I don't know, maybe it's not mysterious for him, but I am going to experience God. I am going to have an encounter. And he walked to a place and he had an encounter. So he planned it either from the night before or he planned it maybe right when he woke up, but he planned it because he didn't just wake up and have it happen to him. It didn't just happen. He walked. He departed and went to a desolate place. Matthew four, and it was in the evening. Matthew 14, 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain and prayed, and by himself, up the mountain, by it himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 